0: Jaspreet Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR,
1: Reality Check Radio.
2: Welcome back to Greenwash with me, Jaspreet Boparai and my co-host, Don Nicholson. For viewers who want to send us some feedback, here's a reminder. There's two ways you can get in touch with us. Feel free to email us at inbox at the rate realitycheck.radio and we now have a texting service. Please text, and it doesn't matter what format you use, just send your text to 2057. That's 2057 for your texts. And we are very excited, Don and I, to have uh, an amazing guest here today with a wealth of experience, and I will let Don make the introductions. Don.
0: Yeah, well, thanks, Jess Jaspreet. It's a pleasure uh, to introduce to you Brian Leyland, um, a mechanical and electric- electrical engineer and a whole lot of other things. Um, and Brian is, uh, yeah, he's got a wealth of knowledge, 65 years in his industry, uh, his cadetship with the Auckland power board started in 1957, the year I was born. So, um, I'm going to let, uh, Brian introduce himself from that point, point. 66 years in the industry, uh, is some significant, uh, experience and we need to hear about it from the get go. So Brian. The floor is yours welcome to reality check radio greenwashed Uh,
1: thank you john and thank you jesprit well i served as a cadet in the open power board realized that i need to get out pretty quick went on a yacht to tahiti went on a sailing ship to uh, uh, (coughs) los angeles and then wandered around the world from England and other places, and finished up in Mauritius, Cyprus, West Africa, and finally Malaysia. On the way, I picked up a wife in Sierra Leone, a volunteer teacher. I reckon I was very lucky. Anyway, when I came back to New Zealand, I worked for a consultant for a few years, then set up a business mainly on small hydropower, but also in power systems. And we did a number of uh, studies on that. But then about 25 years ago, I believed in global warming, and uh, then I started thinking, because the people who thought it was terribly dangerous didn't like nuclear power, which I already knew was probably the best way of reducing emissions of carbon dioxide. So I became a bit suspicious, so I started doing a bit of research and came to the conclusion that uh, The evidence supporting dangerous man-made global warming is very weak indeed. In fact, I've been trying to find convincing evidence for about 20 years and failed. Um, On the power system side, my wife and I are majority owners in a small hydro scheme, which makes heaps of money out of our electricity market, which I believe is very completely misconceived and is doomed to bring us high prices and shortages and it's just built into the to the way it is put together and if we want what we used to have which was low prices and a reliable supply we need to change the electricity market
0: right well we're going to get into that in a bit more interestingly um i have met brian once in my life and i think it was a drinks function in parliament about 2008 but I have come across his name several times in the last 10 or 15 years as well, including uh, when I was part of a group that bought the Anna Whanua Dam in Bay of Plenty, and your nameplate is there. Yes. So how many of those sort of projects did you do? About 30. Yeah, about 30. I mean, so.
1: yeah. Um, Probably 10 or 15 from you and, and the rest been involved with an upgrading or rescuing them from disaster or things like that.
0: So that's not just in New Zealand, that's in, in Africa and countries as well, or because I've yeah, noted you yeah. travel to Africa quite a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I work on mainly on bigger schemes in Africa and overseas. I work on bigger schemes. But my background in small schemes is extremely valuable.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I certainly know that that dam's still working as as well as it ever did. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, just keeping the, the turbines running is um, half the battle and they seem to run sweetly, so that's a good thing. Uh, yes, no, that
1: was, was a good scheme. Considering our lack of long-term experience, we did pretty well, I thought. <laughs> so so the scheme you uh,
0: own yourself and your wife, is that a yeah. run-of-river scheme or what is pretty that? Pretty well. It's
1: it's based on a small dam that was put in in 1922. So we just uh, rebuilt the old, wouldn't rebuild the old school, we built a whole new scheme based on the old dam. Right. Because it's interesting
0: uh, about the early nineties, there's a scheme in Southland called the Monowai um, mm-hmm. Dam. And mm-hmm. everyone told us uh, that it was had it and never going mm-hmm. to need in masses of uh, reinvestment. Well, it's it has had that reinvestment, to be fair, in mm-hmm. several owners since. Uh, but it's churning out electricity just fine. Uh, yes, I'm sure it and, is.
1: Making so, some money. So <laughs> the hydro
0: schemes uh, we mm-hmm. put in place years ago uh, are still earning or churning well for New Zealand. Yes. Uh, but it's now so hard to create new hydro developments? Is
1: that that a fair comment? It's quite difficult. And if the new RMA comes into force as it is now, it will be impossible because what they want to do is limit the water rights to 10 years. And hydropower is a long-term investment. And if you know you could be shut down in 10 years' time, you don't even start because it's going to take at least two years to build. You've got eight years to recover your investment. You can't do it. And in our case, our scheme is now 20 years old, but soon we might have to replace the pen stocks maybe in 10 or 20 years, but we can't afford to replace the pen stocks on the basis that we may be shut down in 10 years. So it's gonna stop all new development and stop reinvestment on existing schemes.
0: God, you've got that sunk investment. You got the sunk investment and you need a return on it so um who can who can blame you if the uncertainty's mm-hmm. around the corner why would you mm-hmm. um interestingly, something that might puzzle our listeners is yeah you talk about run of river, mm-hmm. but rivers have a f- habit of silting up as we've sort of seen in recent months. how yeah. do you flush out or keep clean the uh inference way to a um to a run of river uh hydro scheme
1: with difficulty and I've written. A couple of papers on how important it is to provide for the scour outlets beneath the power intakes to take the gravel away. But most dams do not have it. And sooner or later they're going to be in trouble. When I was in America a few months ago, they said they've got a lot of dams which are getting close to that situation. And they do not have any way of scouring up the silk from beneath the power intakes. So major so, problem.
0: So if it were uh, Coming to my area, uh, we've got the Clutha Schemes, um, but the Roxburgh Dam and the
1: Clyde Dam have uh, flushing ports on them too. Yes, they do. And at Roxburgh, they have to lower the lake level mm-hmm. to scour the sediment downstream every time it floods. Right, so There's effectively right. no storage at Roxburgh at all now, and as soon as it floods, they've got to get rid of it quick to stop the this building up anymore. Oh my goodness. Um, I had heard rumors of
0: that. Um, so, what's the remedy? Uh, does Does Roxburgh just become slowly less useful? Or it's, not? it's
1: in a stable situation at the moment. Right. It's, it's largely stable and then it's manageable. Okay. But, you know, it's the whole thing is fairly well managed, which isn't true of a lot of schemes overseas.
2: Brian, for most of our listeners, electricity and the semantics behind it, no one is really thinking much beyond their power bill. For a whole Mm. lot of others, I believe there's a category of nearly a dozen on 1st of May every year for 20, I think for the last couple of years, the winter energy payment is going to kick in for a whole lot of people, which helps them with the price of power. But for many of us, we don't look beyond that. Can you give us some figures around New Zealand's power generation capacity currently? And where we are sitting in terms of renewable and non-renewable energy? Because most media headlines these days are about how much we need to electrify and we need a massive, you know, Mm. investment in increasing our capacity. Where are we? What is the current status?
1: Okay. At the moment, our peak demand is 7,000 megawatts, which is a lot of horsepower. And 65% of that comes from hydropower. About 15%, 15%, I think, comes from geothermal, which is a really good resource. Steady day and night that just runs. And then about 5%, 10% from gas. And about 4 maybe 6% from wind, which is intermittent. Effectively nothing from solar. And a variable amount from cold, depending on how hard it's rained. In a dry year, we burn a lot of coal. And maybe a million tons last year. We burned less than a hundred thousand tons. So coal is the one that sits there, keeping the lights on when it doesn't rain, and it's a very important role. And we used to do it also with gas, but now the government has stopped gas exploration. Um, we can have a declining supply of gas, and maybe we'll finish up importing liquefied natural gas. Rather than uh, using our own gas, yes, which we've got plenty. Which we've if got we could, plenty of. We've got plenty if we were allowed to explore
0: for, yes. And, and so uh, even <clears throat> uh the diesel um, uh, generators are all all cleaned out, stopped. They don't exist anymore, is that right? We've got no backup
1: there. Um, they, they, the ones that were put in. They are all running on gas. On gas, on mean, gas now. supply of gas. But some of the gas producers need to burn, burn gas because they're producing uh, oil as well. And and long uh, the oil comes comes the gas.
0: Sure. Okay, I get that. So in the end, the oil and gas ban. or you know, um Prospect, prospecting yeah 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 what's that gonna cost us in the end do you, do you any idea it looks it looks like a really own goal to me not having um a continuation of that but uh i know that we've got a virtuous sort of idealistic um concept that we're going to have less of this but it does seem an own goal what's your what's
1: your view on this on this i band? think i've seen a figure of 30 billion dollars. dollars. Thirty billion for no good, and and all the result is we burn more coal. It's it's crazy beyond belief. All the rest of the world is trying to get away get away yeah. from coal. And uh, yes, yeah. sure. So so going
0: so yeah. going right right back. Um, we should we we jump quite a wee way uh, ahead of. Uh, and where I sort of thought this may go to I I think when I first started reading your um output mm-hmm. a lot of it was about the Bradford reforms of yeah. the I think early 90s yeah. and and you had some tension around how that played out and how the uh uh Marketplace um or how things were separated in the marketplaces behaved ever since
1: yeah okay when we National Corporatized the electricity industry, we formed the Electricity Corporation of New Zealand, which worked very well. They did a good job and there was a big improvement over the old NZED, which was hamstrung by government regulations. Then the uh, economists decided that we had to have competition. (coughs) The first report they got said that you've got a a very good system working now Stick with it. But they persisted and wanted a market system. So the consultants offered them two systems. One was continuing basically with ECNZ, except that it allowed competition from private generation. This was a very good model and not much different from what we had. Therefore, it would work and it would have guaranteed as cheap as power because we'd always be building the next most cheapest electricity. The consultants also said there's another way of doing it, which is having a competitive market in kilowatt hours, which is more risky. So the group chose the more risky option, and that was a fatal mistake, which has cost us billions and billions of dollars and meant lots of windfall profits for all the hydro generators, including me.
0: Yeah, and so self-interest um, and principles are part of, are, are not joined in your sense because clearly, if you were, um, yeah, I, I don't blame you for having the windfall profit profit opportunity, but um, yeah, so you're you're not entirely happy with the uh, market system, and I think I used the word nationalised. I didn't mean to say that before. I meant corporatized. Um How can we fix it? How, what's your remedy? Because clearly. Uh, you know, what I've noted is, yeah, the, the sell down to the gen, gen tailors has, um, generator retailers have certainly made significant profits for their shareholders yeah. uh, and their fund managers. Um, some of them have become virtuous pros to boys for climate policy uh, and and the like. I, I dare say if you're majority owned by um, the state, you're going to play uh, to the tune of the state. Yeah. But but there's something's got to give because I think your warnings are quite salutary about how uh, how this market is effective, especially with the push to wind and solar, is all about pushing the price up, not down, not not holding the price for consumers. And we know, I'm sorry, this is a statement that we know that low cost energy is a vital component of a thriving nation.
1: Yes, low cost energy is vital to any growing economy. And it's the lifeblood of the economy. If you turn all the lights out in the whole of New Zealand, the country's destroyed within a week. People will starve to death and all sorts. So it's vital and it's very important to have a low-cost supply because the more expensive it is, the less development you get. So what they're doing is um, trying to run the system. And the the system is summarised by two departing CEOs who both said the way to make money out of this market is to keep the power system on the edge of a shortage. That inevitably means in a dry year, you're going to have a serious shortage, high prices and possible blackouts. Whereas in the old days, the objective of the system people was to make sure That you survived the dry year. And the rest of the time you had surplus, effectively had surplus power. And getting through the dry year was a critical point. But now, not only that, they want to convert cars and and transport and um, industrial heating all to electricity, which means that, and they want a massive investment in wind and solar power. But the problem is the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So what you've got to do is have thousands of megawatts of electricity storage, and that's got to be able to store all the electricity that's generated when the wind is blowing and the sun isn't shining, and deliver it when it's not. And you need about 4,000 megawatts of storage, which is adding 50% to the existing Installed capacity just in storage, and then you need twelve thousand megawatts of wind and solar. So you finish up building about you know about megawatts of new capacity to meet a four thousand megawatts increase in load. But it gets worse than that because when you look at it carefully, there is no technology which can do the storage job cheaply and economically and efficiently. They're pushing the lake Onslow, but all it's designed to do, the only thing it's designed to do, is back up dry years. So it's supposed to store energy when it's raining and the rivers are running high, and then deliver it back when they're not. And that's all. And if you get two dry years in succession, you've had it. It won't get through. But it's not designed to meet the fluctuations weekly, daily, hourly fluctuations of wind and solar, which requires a different sort of scheme. Anyway it's only 1200 megawatts and we need 4000. So we're faced with a situation there is no technology available to do the job that has to be done if the dreams are to come true. The whole thing is just... It's impossible.
2: Gosh, Brian, do you care to put a figure on this? How much is this going to cost? Even though I know you have just yeah. said there is no mm. technology available, but yeah. I am asking for a figure for what they are planning to spend on something, yeah. which is a
1: okay, just to to build all the wind and solar farms and connect them up and convert everything to electricity and all that. Um, Professor Michael Kelly's done a very careful study of this. Is a very eminent New Zealand engineer based in Cambridge, UK. $550 billion. And it won't make any difference to the climate. $550. $550 billion. And it won't keep the lights on when the wind isn't blowing and the sun's not
2: shining. So if I compare this to a national GDP, for the last year, year ending December 22, our GDP was 380 billion. So yeah. we are talking of a figure yeah. more than our GDP. How can yeah. that be right? Because he's done his sums,
1: and I've gone through it, and I agree with him.
2: Oh, gosh, has There's somebody- just
1: an enormous amount of things you've got to do. You've got to get to build all these wind farms. You've got to build transmission lines. You've got to build new substations. You've got to reinforce the distribution system in all the towns to accommodate all this extra heating load and car charging load. You've just got to practically duplicate the existing power system that's taken 100 years to build.
2: All in a few years. This is unbelievable. It's like virtually trying to bankrupt the country for no reason.
1: Yeah. They don't realize it, but that's, that's it. Good Lord, it's got to crash and burn just a matter of when it does so so Brian just um
0: to add a little bit more context context what is the capacity generally from wind turbines uh you know they, they obviously can generate sort of close to 100 percent when they're spinning but what is coming out of them and same for solar panels what actually are we achieving in New Zealand currently
1: yeah okay A 1,000-megawatt wind farm will virtually never generate more than 800 megawatts, only 1% or 2% of the time. So effectively, 1,000 megawatts of wind farms is 800 megawatts of anything else. But they generate electricity, and if you put all the generation together for one year and steady, it's about 33% to 35%. So a 1,000 megawatt will produce an average output of 350 megawatts. Now a 350 megawatt uh, geothermal station will produce an average output of about 320 megawatts. And a 1,000 megawatt geothermal station would do about 900 megawatts. So there's a huge difference. But you've got to put in all the cables, all the transformers, and everything else to meet this peak demand, which hardly ever happens. So it's ruinously expensive.
2: So I'm going to now show my inexperience and ask a very layperson's question. For me, mm. when I hear this, the figures you're telling me, a number 550 billion, which is more than our national GDP for wind energy or solar, which you say is really, really inefficient, and you're not the only commentator. I've mm. seen other mm. such reports. Do mm. we have capacity of increasing our current hydro? Yes. And geothermal? And why are yeah. we not doing that? If so, it seems to me to be a no-brainer.
1: Yeah. Um, upstream and downstream of the Clyde Dam and Roxburgh there's mm. several hydro schemes which have been studied and which could be built relatively easily and they take advantage of the storage in the big glacier in the lakes. There's another scheme downstream of Waitaki, which takes advantage of our major storage in Pukaki, 600 megawatts, that one is. Um, those are the easy ones. There are other schemes on the West Coast we could build, and there are um, heaps of smaller schemes which we could build. But the attitude of, I think, the Green Party is we like one of the hydro, which doesn't store energy, so it's not much use. And we like hydro schemes that comply with our requirements. No hydro scheme complies with their requirements. So you could be in favor of hydro, but in fact, blocking it at the same time. Very nice situation to be in. Except.
0: It's, it's it's a lot of doublespeak coming out of uh, out of their mouths, uh, it seems. So interestingly, just before we go off that into solar, you've talked thirty three percent effectively out of a wind farm. Solar, 30, I gather,
1: is, uh, is wrong, sorry.
0: right? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. and I had thirty eight percent in my head, so yeah, I was <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't going to quibble over a couple of percent. <laughs> but I'm, what I've read is solar is barely
1: ten percent. Is that true? In Much terms of its... Much less. I, would be, I don't think there's more than a one, one or two hundred megawatts of solar if that, they're building some solar farms, why I don't know, but they are building some and they're planning to build quite a few more. Why they're doing it, I cannot understand. Overseas, all solar farms and all wind farms rely on subsidies to be viable, all the industries would not exist overseas, absent subsidies. So what's happening in New Zealand? Is there any subsidies into these developments? There's sort of indirect subsidies in that they don't have to provide the power that's needed when they're not running, when they're not generating. And they're quite substantial indirect subsidies. The consumer pays for that, not the fine. If they had to pay for the backup that they need, Nobody would build one. So
0: if you add you know the storage of uh surplus out of wind and solar yeah. effectively has to go into big batteries or something if we're not yeah. using pumped hydro. What yeah. the requirement to build batteries would that would bankrupt the country, would it?
1: Yeah. If you actually yeah. had to do all of this stuff. I I got looked at the output of a wind farmer for a year and I worked out what how many batteries you needed to average out the output so you've got a steady output through the year at a wind farm? The batteries would cost 70 times the cost of the wind farm. 70 Lord. times. So you can't even <laughs> contemplate it. So how does this stuff get so much
0: traction? I mean, I, I know you're one voice, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not, you know, you'll have people challenging this, and um, that's how the world works. Um, this, it ebbs and flows in opinion. Mm-hmm. How do they justify this uh, concept uh, to to make it appear uh, uh, virtuous and and palatable to to the consumer? How does that work?
1: Well, the batteries that have gone in on the basis of, Propping up the power system in a very short time periods, a few minutes, sometimes or maybe a few hours, and you can argue that they're quite useful to do to do that. Other things could do it, but they can do it reasonably well. But there's a huge difference between that and thousands of megawatts of batteries, some of it sitting there waiting for a dry year or waiting for a, a what we call a wind drought. and. Um, it just, it's, everybody around the world recognizes that batteries can't be used for massive long-term storage. It's just, and anyway, if you did want to use them, you don't have enough cobalt, lithium, and other rare earths and materials. It's unsustainable, because you can't mine the materials we need, or even find them, at the rate that's necessary to do the things that they dream of so an, an adjunct to all of this from my perspective is uh we
0: live in jasper and i live in the south uh the dominant use of electricity outside the smelter is in the north we're upgrading the transmission lines at great expense to connect uh the southern um lakes into uh, effectively the national grid in a, in a greater so that they can take greater capacity yeah. what is the what's the story about the cost of all that versus the line losses
1: and the cost of maintaining, say, the Cook Strait Cable. Uh, okay. Cook Strait Cable was a magnificent piece of work. It was the biggest in the world at the time. It was an enormously bold step, and it's been enormously valuable to New Zealand because it took a lot of very cheap and very good hydropower from the South Island and pushed it into the North Island. And the only alternative we had at that time was burning coal or later on and going going new and it it runs fairly hard and it runs very successfully and it's been upgraded on several occasions it can be upgraded once more and then that's the limit and it's only another four or five hundred megawatts and then it reaches and if we have to build a whole new one then it's gonna be a whole new kettle of fish.
0: So that does seem to beg the question. Um, that the new generation should be where uh, it's likely to be the most demand uh, in the future. And that clearly is where the big city is at the moment, because you don't see the South Island burgeoning in demand, I wouldn't have thought. So mm-hmm. so it comes to your hobby horse, and I know uh, it, it's your hobby horse that... Um, the the sort of safe nuclear power generation systems that are now being modelled or, you know, in place around the world, Mm. New Zealand's resistance and reluctance, does that need the national conversation to start again? Uh,
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, Strangely enough, New Zealand has not got any laws banning nuclear power stations. And when the laws, anti-nuclear laws were put together, Friends of mine who made very sure that it didn't exclude nuclear power. And they they managed to sneak it through. (laughs) So we haven't got a law against it, like the Australians think. Um, Everybody says it's dangerous, which is simply not true. Everybody says it's terribly expensive, which at the moment is substantially true, but not compared with wind and solar power. When you add in the storage cost. I would think the nuclear power would become competitive even now. But not far away, like within the next 10 years, we're going to see a whole lot of new big reactors into cereal production. These are ones that have been built now at great expense because everybody's forgotten how to build them. But once they remember how they built them like sausages years ago, they'll start. Reducing in cost, and the small reactors are meant to be factory made, delivered to site, put in place, run them until the fuel runs out, take the reactor away, and replace it with a new one And, and refurbish the old reactor. And they will make a dramatic difference. But the other big problem is that everybody is told that low levels of radiation are dangerous, and it's simply Not true. There's been very extensive research done and indicates that low levels of radiation, up to maybe a thousand times the regulated limit, is not dangerous. And it's because of a belief that it is dangerous and a regulation that goes back to the days before they knew much about radiation that says no radiation is dangerous, 6,000 sieverts. Millisieverts is dangerous, and half that much is half as dangerous. So everybody under the regulations, though that radiation, are quite dangerous. Everybody knows that it's not true, but nobody will change the regulations. And statistically, nuclear power has proved to be about a hundred times safer than any other major form of power generation. Coal-fired stations emit more radiation than a nuclear station because the coal's got a certain amount of uranium in it. And uh, hydropower stations have killed 200,000 people with dam failures. And there's potential for major failures if big dams have been built now because the safety standards aren't good enough. <clears throat> so nuclear power is much, much safer than anything we've got, there's no reason to be scared of it, getting rid of waste is not a problem because there's so little of it, and within about 800 years it declines to a level which is not dangerous. But if you don't go near it, you don't get hurt. And so what they're doing is putting it all in big steel canisters and sticking it out in the backyard of the station and leaving it there. As long as nobody goes near it, nobody will get hurt. If you live downstream of a big dam, you are at risk. If the dam fails, you will drown. Nothing Gosh. can do that. Right. If the dam gets abandoned, you're for sure you'll drown because if the dam gets abandoned, the beach will fail.
2: I heard that, what you just said, Bran, and my ears pricked up. You said coal power stations emit more radiation than yep. a. Nuclear powered one. And, yeah. and on that note, Brand, could I ask you if you could move a little closer to your mic, please? When you were a bit f- closer to the screen.
1: I'm yes. Using this
2: mic. Okay, but somehow you, the quality of sound was changing. That's all good. Yeah. But seriously, you are saying that a cold powered station is, has emits more radiation, and that's yeah. a proven fact. In day to
1: day operation. Not right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing yeah. to do with the fuel, but just in day to day operation.
2: Gosh, you yeah. live, you learn. Don't.
1: Yeah, and, and so what uh,
0: What would the radiation be like in terms of, uh, you know, you go and have an X-ray um, and they give, you know, the people standing there have lead lead uh, shield, aprons yeah. and things on. What is What comes out of sort of a standard X-ray machine uh, in terms of radiation
1: that's supposedly um, dangerous in terms of yeah. equivalence? I, I know more about, if you take a single flight, it's probably worth it. Mm-hmm. several months' exposure to it nuclear station, a single flow, or maybe even more. And uh, pilots get exposed to that all the time. Yeah, and if, if you go into space, well, it's really bad, but still not. But the, the interesting one is cancer. For, for cancer, they give you radiation treatments, very high-powered, very serious, and the cancer cells itself, itself are exposed to radiation that, if you expose your whole body to it, it, would kill you in a couple of minutes. Just outside the cancer cell, it's still exposed to very high levels of radiation. And if radiation was as dangerous as everybody says it was, most of the people who <clears throat> get radiation treatment for cancer would later die of radiation-induced cancer. And they don't. Maybe 5% do maybe less. So So that that really is very strong evidence that low levels of radiation are not dangerous.
0: So there is a big conversation to have, and um, Mm. we're unwilling to have it, uh, it seems. Uh, And, you know, linking all this into uh, nuclear uh, electricity generation having low CO2 emissions, uh, mm. if CO2 is as deleterious as all the pundits say, and nice. I disagree with that, by the way, um, you would think it's a good thing. Secondly, we'd have uh, less need for massive transmission upgrades, uh, in, as far as I con- can see it, if it was built in the, in the central or northern
1: upper half yeah. of the North Island. Um, the country is the obvious place for nuclear power for all things. And that's oh. north of Auckland, which is really when we need the power. Does the, does the Kuiper May know that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if I was him, I'd say, good-o, i would say good I need some development. <laughs> Safe <Good work. laughs> and, so, and profitable. So, the Earth of Thames is the other place that was proposed for nuclear station
0: sure so just uh, finishing a little bit more on the uh, hydro um and earthquakes and uh instability where well, some have some have failed around the world what is the uh, danger of an earthquake uh in a nuclear situation nuclear power plant um is it safer or can it be contained or or is there an issue
1: it's barely an issue because they have built um nuclear stations and Highly earthquake prone countries, Japan being a classic example. The Fukushima one was subject to an earthquake quite a bit stronger than it was designed for. And it it survived without any dangerous things happening. 30 minutes later, a tsunami arrived and drowned the emergency diesel generators that were keeping all the emergency systems running. So, Fukushima became a disaster because of the tsunami, not because of the Earth. But even then, according to those that know, nobody has or will die of radiation from Fukushima. Thousands of people died from forced evacuations that weren't necessary.
2: I can't get over this. We are trying to save us from ourselves. We are trying to bankrupt the country, spending more than our GDP on this. And yet, we have. Absolutely. At least out here where I live and Don and I live, hmm. Southland, the hospitals are just crumbling. They've been hmm. in a code red off and on. We have people literally collapsing here in ERs, uh, 12 to 24 hour waits are very routine at Q Hospital, uh, hmm. Brian. So I can think of a whole lot of other users for this money that they want to spend on these brain schemes for nothing. Absolutely
1: nothing because nothing that New Zealand does can change our climate. though it's was all wasted money. And lots of people are telling the public that if we do all these magical things, our climate will change, which is gross misinformation. They should be strung up for
0: it. <laughs> it's incredible how we've gone so far down this track and you and your in your notes to us uh for the show talked about the South African uh, tragic example and I read an article it's quite timely actually because I read an article the other day in the Manhattan contrarian uh mm. by Francis Menton who absolutely mentioned the same thing how mm. um uh the big push in South Africa to have wind and solar and, and the like has mm. basically caused mayhem um lots of power outages uh, lots of jobs lost. And I've got one other angle that I've got a friend who comes from South Africa and he's in the sector. He talks about the massive corruption at the top end of town um, through this push. Um,
1: it's a salutary
0: warning, isn't it, for New Zealand?
1: It is a, a serious warning to us. And I work in Nigeria where the peak demand is 4,000 megawatts for a country of 200 million people. So half of the demand of New Zealand. Third of the power comes from emergency diesels, and offshore they're flaring gas, so they've got gas to burn, and they can't get their act together to use it. It's tragic.
0: Well, it is a tragedy if you're trying to build an economy, and as we yeah. talked about earlier, you need low-cost energy to release the shackles of of being in the third world.
1: Yes. Exactly, exactly. And so, just a- the way the way that things are going at the moment because of the way the market's set up, our domestic electricity is set to increase quite substantially in the next few years, and it's not locked in to the way the market works. For wow. no good reason, 65% of our electricity comes from hydropower with a generating cost of 3 or 4 cents, and now it's now being sold for 15 to 20 cents yeah so, good reason so linking into this this
0: push and mm-hmm. and it's and happening in my area so I'm and mm-hmm. I'm not uh mm-hmm. sure what's happening around the rest of the country and mm-hmm. I don't I don't decry any uh, of the people that are investing in this and promoting mm-hmm. it because uh, the opportunity has been given but yeah. green green and gray hydrogen Hey, what's your opinion about hydrogen uh, elect- electrolyzing and the cost of that and the output uh, received from
1: that electrolyzing process? The whole thing's crazy beyond belief. It doesn't stand up to common sense. It doesn't stand up to plain economics. It, it It's weird. Hydrogen is, isn't an energy source. It's just a, man, a way of casting pay transporting energy and using it in a different form. So you get some perfectly good electricity and make some hydrogen, lose two-thirds of the energy on the way, and then you burn it in a, in a car engine and lose quite a bit more energy. When you, uh, If you'd used the same energy to charge batteries, you'd have been far better off. Even an electric car, which I think is also uneconomic. So so. it doesn't make sense. I don't understand why anybody anywhere is interested in high. There's huge problems in storing it, there's huge problems in pumping it around. If you put if you mix it with natural gas and have too much of it, the pipelines get embrittled and break. It's it's dangerous. The flash point is very wide, so you can get gas explosions. It's crazy. There's no sense in it at all. So you
0: think it's the ultimate virtue signal um, from the from the sector? Because boy, there's a lot of people promoting uh, hydrogen around the country. Uh, I think they've got a they've got a group doing it. And I, as again, I I try not to have an opinion about it. Um, it does seem a bit um, a bit odd to me, but you know, hopefully the opinions will, that, that carry weight rise to the surface.
1: I think it's the ultimate signal of how stupid people can be. I really do.
2: Yeah, you got that right. I think virtue signaling should be replaced with stupid signaling. Yeah, just watch out for these people. Uh, Incidentally, not too long ago, uh, Don, when we were traveling into Queenstown, I I stopped at um, at Athol. And uh, we were going to meet up there for a meeting. And there were some German tourists who stopped by this coffee shop where I was. And this lady just saw me sitting alone, started chatting. Mm. And her first question to me, and this was last month, was, what are your power prices here doing? This was Mm. a van load of German tourists. And I said, well, uh, I'm a dairy farmer. We pay massively. My husband and I, we run two cow sheds, pay close Mm. to $60,000 a year in power. Mm. Mm. But I said, I haven't yet noticed a jump. I said, how about you guys? And I I can't imitate her accent, but she said, oh, she says, they have absolutely screwed us here. And she says, you know what the best part is? She says, for years, Germany criticized Qatar, you know, human rights and women rights and all of that. Mm -hmm. And she says, now our ministers have cut a deal with Qatar and they've told us we might start getting some LPG or natural gas flowing in there. So I said, was it always like this? This lady was in her 60s and she goes, no, she says they've just gotten madder and madder as I've grown older. <laughs> <laughs> she'd, be yeah, she'd be right. Yeah. She'd be right. I mean,
1: no, the, the ultimate stupidity is shutting down perfectly good nuclear stations.
2: And I just can't help thinking that we are following suit, aren't we? Mm. And, and, and the only they did
1: it. They used it as an election drive, and
2: then they found they were stuck with it. Mm. So then I think we should go to emissions. Much of this, the whole point of why we are spending or why we are wasting this money, when we could be spending it on healthcare, better housing, goddammit better roads as winter hits out here and the horrible roads we have here. We are spending this money to save the climate, aren't we? We are saving the world, aren't we doing Uh, this?
1: We're spending it money in a blind belief. That we will save the world when there's no chance of making the slightest difference.
2: But don't we have even to even if our... the
1: predictions were true, we wouldn't be making a difference.
2: But don't we have to do our bit, Brian? Don't we have to? New Zealand is supposed to be going to be a world leader in all of this nonsense. We have to do our bits, says the Prime Minister.
1: Well, if we want to squander that much money on a futile effort to be seen to be doing our bit, where nobody else can take any notice because they're desperately trying to keep their lights on.
2: Because you know, who need doctors or anything or roading? We can just—I don't know. This winter, as someone said, maybe the hungry and the freezing can unite.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no. But it's it's all crazy. One of the the things is that that all the predictions are based on computer computer models of the climate. And these in turn are based on various scenarios for how much coal will burn or not burn and how much wind power will generate and how much nuclear power will generate and how much gas will burn. And we have chosen to base our, all our efforts and everything and actions on the predictions coming out of what's called RCP 8.5, which says we're going to burn heaps, heaps more coal, we could burn less gas, and we won't do much nuclear and wind power and solar. Now, this was a scenario we've dreamed up 20 years ago. It's no longer relevant. The IPCC has said it is extremely unlikely and should not be used for policymaking. Every public body in New Zealand is using it for policymaking. So if you use a more realistic scenario, then there's no no climate emergency. We've got plenty of time to prove ourselves against global warming. But the people who should think, you know, you think when somebody says, goodness gracious, that's a relief. We don't have to worry so much if we think it's a lot better than we thought. No, 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 no. We want to stick to RCP 8.5. We've we've got to prove ourselves against the most unlikely scenario. So why are they defending something that the IPCC says they should not even use? I
2: don't so know. for our listeners, we are chatting with Brian Leland and Brian has had 60 years of experience in the electricity sector in New Zealand. He's an electrical and mechanical engineer. And we are talking of RCP 8.5. I and Don, we've spoken about this earlier, but RCP 8.5 is a model a scenario which envisions, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, this mm-hmm. RCP 8.5 st- is 8.5 watts per square meter of energy, which is going to be the difference mm-hmm. of the greenhouse gas hitting the earth and you know, mm-hmm. the amount escaping the gap between those two, which is going to be leading to a three-degree rise in global temperatures. Now, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has said after COP27 last year, that this is improbable. In fact, they've added another model. Is it uh, RCP 3.7 or 4.5? Uh,
1: uh, I think 4.5 and 6. 4, yeah. And, and they've added About one interim similar. one,
2: 3.7 hmm. or something. But hmm. what you've just said, that we insist on making decisions based on this. I've had first hand experience of this uh, going to some council work out here in Southland District. Now, our models, the ones we are working on, or our climate advisors working on, his hands are tied because the Ministry of Environment's document, the interim guidance on the use of new sea level rise projections, based on which they are doing modeling for managed Mm -hmm. retreat and so on, talks about RCP 8.5. So I I could debate this gentleman till cows Mm -hmm. come home, and I have but as he tells me he is being forced to do these modelings knowing full well that they are futile because according to our what what do they call themselves so the single source of truth the government yeah. so the single source <laughs> of uh, rcp modeling tells yeah. us rcp 8.5 is the one so we are working on the worst case scenario the i mean heights of improbability and we are spending time money on consultants and we'll now be having some conversations, I guess, from these models, what comes out for the people who live in certain areas, with beggars' belief.
1: Yes, and um, I've had correspondence with Professor James Winwick, and he too has admitted that it's highly unlikely. So probably one of the top climate men in New Zealand admits that it's highly unlikely, and they still don't believe him.
0: Well, he's the go-to guy for the media uh, every yeah. time there's a, a, a scary scenario discussion required to be put in front mm. of the public, mm. and he's got the information. Doubting, doubting, uh, doubting mm. the RCP eight point five, which mm. now also has a sort of similar um, uh, scenario called a socio uh, shared socioeconomic pathway. Yeah. Uh it's to confuse and also embellish mm. this the subject to make it sound yeah. really scary. Yeah. So he admits he admits this is fallacious at 8.5, mm. but he's not beating the drums and saying New Zealand should back up the bus and yeah. stop destroying its economy.
1: And I have it in waiting from him that it is unlikely. I
0: uh, I find that unacceptable uh for is mm. is I think he was at Niwa. Is he still with Niwa, or is he no. at Victoria University, where most of them seem to go? Yeah,
1: he's at Victoria University.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's um, it's. I think I think the public of New Zealand need to know a whole lot more because I I became aware of this about October oh, after COP twenty seven anyway, mm-hmm. and um, the only people I he- heard in New Zealand since talking about it loudly were uh, Muriel Newman and her weekly. And um, Barry Brill, the chairman of the Science Coalition, uh, on the platform with Sean Plunkett. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've I've talked about it. Jasper Eats talked about it, and there is an element of doubt that we're talking the truth, but but mm-hmm. it's out there, and New Zealand is still hell bent on this 8.5 scenario, which I think I read somewhere where even if it was uh, to that level, we wouldn't have enough coal to burn to actually make it yeah. get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that's how nutty in,
1: in, in, an impossible scenario.
0: Yeah. So that's how nutty our scenario is, listeners. Um, and yet we've got all our institutions in New Zealand hmm. making you feel uncomfortable about
1: a future that is not likely. Yeah. Now just in, in, in Auckland, they're extending West Haven Marina with a new car park. The new car park is one and a half meters above the old car park, and it's a big reclamation. Just because of the predictions of sea level rise. (laughs) Never mind, this will turn into an island if it happens.
2: (laughs) They are, this is criminal. They're already turning us into islands. Mm. My council at this point, we are unable to afford to keep certain bridges open. Mm. A couple of weeks ago, there's one bridge, and this is the first of many. We have, I mean, South Island is just bridges Mm. and bridges, literally. And this is the first of many. It's been temporarily brought down to a lower weight limit. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there's suddenly standards coming up and safety issues and whatnot. So we can't mm-hmm. afford to keep our bridges open. Mm-hmm. This from a province mm-hmm. which uh, contributes 15% of our exports as a country. Mm-hmm. And yet we have money to spend on all of this yeah. virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. I. Some days it you know one really thinks that honestly, what are we doing here? Are these people actually that stupid, or is it time to stop looking for a reason and treason now?
1: We've been grabbed by a religious cult it really nice. when you hold beliefs which are against logic and you hold them in spite of all the all the evidence, you can only call it a religious cult, and that's what its become and um Crichton years ago gave a speech saying that environmentalism is a new religion and has all the indications of religious belief, a blind belief in a disaster scenario. Only I can save you. <clears throat> Give me lots of money and power. It works. It works. It,
0: isn't it hard to believe um incessant brainwashing? Yeah, we, we call the show mm. greenwashed. But um brainwashing whitewashing and now red red washing as well it all seems part of it
1: yeah
0: and uh i can't believe that 25 or more years of this has slowly got into the national psyche so deep that it is ingrained in all our institutions right down if you if you analyze it this sounds stupid i know but right down to preschool level yes. our children are being indoctrinated with this fear of the future Mm. Uh, and the anxiety that's being created by people is something we're going mm. to talk about on Greenwashed in the week, next mm. week or two. Mm. This eco anxiety um, mm. that we could all have had had some mm. of us not been sort of seeking the truth. Yeah. Um We've gone a long way into it, and it's it's disappointing. Uh It's going to take a long long time to get out of it. I imagine mm. a big recession might help.
1: Yeah, the only thing that encourages me is when. Uh, eastern europe got liberated a whole lot of young people flipped <laughs> into capitalism very fast <laughs> right so but they were probably aware they were being fed bullshit was people here at the moment are not aware of it. they believe what they're being told and i suspect that they didn't believe what the government was telling them so the
0: dark forces behind all this stuff where do you think it emanated from i mean Jaspreet and I have talked in previous shows about uh, about 100 years of um, slow or long marching through the institutions, <laughs> or, uh, yeah. et cetera. Uh, where do you think it emanated from? Uh, well, maybe we're barking up the wrong tree, but um, I think we've got
1: – we'd love it, to hear your opinion. It's primarily money and power. So to a politician, the Salvation Circus uh, philosophy is always a good one. And somebody said that the goal of government is to keep the the populace in fear of some imminent disaster, so they'll follow them. And that's what they're doing. And then there's lots of money and influence in it. I mean, a large proportion of our university lecturers and people rely entirely on a belief in global warming for their jobs Without, without it, they wouldn't even have one. And they're in a lovely situation because they can write all these papers and do all this research and there's no chance that anything will come of it. So they can't be proved wrong. <laughs> it's it's marvellous. They don't have to produce anything that's reproducible, and uh, the whole thing's so vague. And then there's, I have a suspicion, and it's no more than you know, some, um, there's also evidence that the Russians have paid Environmental organisations in Europe and UK and USA to oppose fracking because they the Russians want to sell the gas rather than produce it. So there's there's a degree of that. Whether or not the windmill and solar power people have passed money to the environmental organisations to oppose nuclear power, I don't know. But it would be common commercial sense for them to do so. It would be good. The sort of thing you do. We know that the the gas lobby paid the Sierra Club in the USA to oppose coal, which they did very successfully. And then they turned around and opposed gas as well.
0: (laughs) The old Sierra Club, eh? Um,
1: About the same time as the... It's public knowledge that, that they were paid to oppose coal. And it's public knowledge that the Russians were paid environmental organizations in many countries it's it's it
0: it beggars belief hell um i mean i know money and power and greed and all the rest of it Mm. comes into it but in all conscience how do people how do people not um especially in the in the new zealand sense in their institutions not have a very red face uh when they know they're taking their their wage check under false pretense
1: for the same reason that people fighting wars against christian wars and christian wars against each other and against the muslims all thought that god was on their side therefore that right the others are wrong and we have a duty to save them from themselves
2: so so
1: so just uh, fast forward to the last
0: 5 years it seems to have gathered a pace. Uh, yeah, yeah. This, this uh, fervor that we must do something. We just got to do something, or we've got to do it for the sake of the world's temperature, or we've got to do it to, for brand New Zealand. Um, there's, there's going to be a whole big paycheck for us at the end of it all.
1: Uh, yeah, but I talk to usually older groups, U3A and provisions like fairly often, and. On, on this, this sort of thing, and only once, and it was last week, have I had anybody in the audience take me on, and it was good that they did. We had a very interesting discussion, um, and I get the sense that most of the older generation are suspicious, and are very interested to discover that there's good reasons for them being suspicious, but, but the, the mass media will not publish anything against it. Stuff on their website says they will not publish anything that argues against man-made global warming. It's there in the The NBR won't, but it doesn't say so. The Herald won't, but it doesn't say so. Newsroom does. It's the only one I've found that published comments opposing global warming. Even though they believe in it, at least they let them be printed. Yes, they certainly do. You the
0: output from from awkward. newsroom, the output from newsroom is almost pro. Uh, let's have more of this. It looks looks like a big big earner. Yeah, um, but they I've do just,
1: allow debate.
0: Right. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. I've just read a, a rural paper today, and there was a young scribe. Um, well, I assume it. The person was young by uh, the the argument uh, he posited, which was that old people need to get out of the way and let young innovators come through uh, and we'll, we'll sort all this. Well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for young and innovative people to come through, but not uh, if they endorse shonky um, concepts. Uh, that, for instance, in 2014, um, Christina Vergara said in 2014, I've read this this morning, communism is the best mechanism to fight um, global warming. Yeah. yeah now and in, in effect um she could be right because you'd get a whole lot of um little servants uh capitulating and giving into this nonsense but that's was written in a headline in 2014 mm-hmm. so you can sense my cynicism um you know I'm not supposed to have opinions but I can't help myself <laughs> um uh uh about this I call it an occult um more than a climate cult, it's like an occult. So mm. uh yeah, it's a it's weird how we've all succumbed to this um to this notion that we're all about to fry when
1: mm.
0: when actually uh having watched even other uh videos in the last week and and, and read articles about global cooling is again mm. on the agenda quite mm. significantly. So mm. I don't know, Brian, the genesis of all this and um and I think you know a bit more about
1: the, the warming and cooling cycles. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, 1970s, want- it was full of, of oncoming ice age, and we should sprinkle carbon dust all over the ice caps to melt them to stop the water, the water freezing up. I remember reading it.
0: Yes, and I remember when I first came farming, we were just through the worst of that uh, global cooling scare and it transitioned by about the nineteen ninety-two global yeah. warming. And I'll never forget, Brian, when I was uh, doing my sort of national political stuff for farming, uh, I always used to use the term climate variation yeah. rather than global warming or climate change. Yeah. And I was despised by the pundits out of Victoria University. I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't suit the narrative.
1: Yeah.
2: And yet when we look at it, it was uh, late last month, exactly a month ago, 28th of March, the headlines said on RNZ, cuts avoided after South Island asked to conserve power immediately. Transpar had said that when uh, temperatures fell uh, last week of March, suddenly there was a bit Mm -hmm. of a snow and they said there could be power outages and people should stop. Everything that they can, which was including washing machines, computers, mm-hmm. you're charging anything, EVs and whatnot. And this was March. We are talking of right now, we haven't even gone to EVs at the scale, say which you would find in California or something. And there they were already struggling in March, end of March. Where where do we think we have the capacity for anything else right now?
1: Yeah. yeah. The, the normal wholesale electricity price is about 15 cents a kilowatt hour. Yesterday evening, it went up to 70 cents. Why? I don't know.
2: 70.
1: It, just, it shot up to 70 cents for a couple of hours and then dropped again. Why this happens, I have no idea. I've been studying this market for 20-something years, and I do not know how it works. I cannot predict what's going to happen
2: from one minute to the next. We, so. we do know inflation is biting hard. We do know people are already struggling to put basics on the table.
1: Mm. We
2: do know we can't afford any more power price hikes mm. and these flights mm. of fancy or these pet projects mm. as these people have. Yet this doesn't stop these people. What's no. it, 80,000 panels in NASB? Another mm. solar farm and whatnot and how this is going to save us all.
1: Mm. It's made. And there's strong evidence that the more wind and solar power a country has, the more expensive its electricity is.
2: Yeah.
1: And somebody plotted a graph of it. And one of the outliers, which is very high, high above the average is Australia. Now, Australia used to have the cheapest power in the world because it has lots of cheap coal. And then they started subsidizing wind and solar. And this has jacked up the price. And, and now they have some of the most expensive power in the world, even though they don't have much wind and solar compared to other countries.
2: It's crackers. The whole thing's
1: crackers. Germany's must, got the highest price of all. Germany and Denmark, lots of wind power, high price. And they tell us it's the cheapest power available. Ah.
2: I must ask you, they're talking of now the four View rates in our backyard. Offshore wind farm possible, says Otago Daily Times, and four-view straits mm. is being looked at as a possible location for an offshore wind farm. Mm. I know our council also has uh, is worried if it has to become a carbon-neutral organization, mm. the Stewart Island Power Generation, they've got generators mm. there that adds into our emission profile. And electric car. <laughs> so what what possible options do they have? Why are they doing this?
1: The only option they have at the moment is continuing diesel, which is not that bad in thousands of communities around the world, Atlanta, mm-hmm. and hoping that in a few years' time, within 10 or 50 years' time, they'll be able to put in a 15, or 5, 10 or 15 megawatt nuclear reactor. And then they'll be happy environment, no emissions, complete (laughs) power, day and night, cheap power in the early hours of the morning. It would be lovely. Run all their fridges flat out in the early hour of the morning and probably get paid for it. Next stop, Antarctica. Um, Well, they did have a reactor at Antarctica, and they pulled the bloody thing out. In Antarctica? Yeah, yeah. Scott Base used to be supplied by a nuclear reactor. Oh, my goodness. And they took it away and now it's diesels and some wind farms. Intrigue. But the New Zealand base, they had diesels and the diesels also, the waste heat from diesels supplied the heating for the base. The American base, one group put in the diesel generators and another group put in the heating and they didn't use any waste heat from the diesels. Okay.
2: Ah!
0: It's intriguing because I know there's been a lot of reports done uh, and research done on how to power Stewart Island better and mm. cheaper. And mm. the cost of all those reports, I think they could have dropped a cable into the strait and had it done by now, but it probably goes through some oyster beds or something. So maybe that was yeah. the problem. Not sure. One,
1: one thing that they won't have thought of is using what's called single wire earth return, which was been pioneered in New Zealand, sure. 50, oh, 100 years ago, by somebody I used to work for. And they could put a single core cable to um, uh, to Stewart Island, and possibly that would would be a It would be but, certainly worth thinking about. But everybody you, has to have three phase. Everybody's always had three phase, and when I go to uh, them, they don't need it. They yeah. just don't listen. So the but capacity quite likely it would. work.
0: So it could it could have enough capacity to cater for sort of, well, I think it's about 400 residents and a few no, processing no. factories, yeah. no problem. No problem,
1: no. Interesting. Yeah. And with, with modern electronics, in the old days you had to have three phase power because you had three phase motors. Now you buy a box of electronics and it cranks out three phase power from single phase input. Fantastic. You can do it all in the electronics. There's just no barrier them using a a, a single core cable we better half the cost of this, of this three core
0: cable gosh i didn't know that so that's news yeah. to me one mm-hmm. thing we haven't touched on today brian i think we should is um microgrids and um on you know an, an individuals uh, or an individual yeah. homes um uh, yeah. solar capacity or whatever and whether that that is a viable option for for going off grid without so, sort of a bat. Uh, sorry a, a, a fueled generator for backup um, with You're passive not- ho- passive homes and the like so low energy he- uh, to heat homes and the like mm-hmm. if you just want basic services to your house um can wind and solar on its own do the business in in a climate like the south that has um an over uh, daylight uh hours of about 10 hours. I oh, know, not even that. Uh, nine hours in the in the longest day. Yeah. Oh, sorry, shortest day. I get it around right the wrong way. Shortest I day have, in winter. I have,
1: I have first hand experience because my my niece and my husband lived in an echo base on Waiheke, which was not connected to the mains. And they had twenty thousand dollars worth of solar panels and about the same amount of um, batteries, and tucked away in a corner, a little diesel generator. But their whole life was dominated by how much charge was in the batteries. So they couldn't have an electric stove, they couldn't have an electric water heating, they couldn't have a whole lot of things that we take for granted. And they kept watching the state of the batteries. So instead of being a non-issue as it is with us, the lights go on, it was a major factor in their lifestyle, whether or not they had enough electricity. And you know, we had microgrids. Well, all the electricity generation museums started off with a series of microgrids, little hydro schemes. I mean, we, we in Galton Bay. They, they put in a little hydro scheme, and that kept it up. And then then they got connected into the grid. Wow, we're connected to the grid. We're made. It's but It's sharing the load. It's sharing the demand, and it's a marvelous thing. So why people want to go back to splitting up a system which is much better integrated, I do not know. Well, I,
0: I, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to challenge that, but I imagine people's thinking is around the cost of the electricity that you've put up the case for today yeah. that can't go down in price as long as you've got intermittent um, supply happening uh, and and less base load power.
1: Yeah, and certainly there yeah, are. Quite a lot of cases, and you'd be know about them, where you've got long transmission lines to an individual farm, hmm. um, which need to be replaced, and it's and that is prohibitively expensive. And in that case, on those isolating cases, it's a good idea, and, and I, I wouldn't stop people doing it. But don't kid yourself; you get cheap power from that. You get cheaper power than paying for a whole new transmission line, but not cheap power. <laughs> Yeah,
0: and I know I'm aware out near where Jaspreet lives, there is a um, rural area power scheme um, that's been set up on that very concept too, uh, at, near the start of the Hump Bridge um, walking track. So, and that was uh, effectively because the cost of replacing those transmission lines uh, around the coast was just too severe. Yeah. It's it's a vexed issue, but we love electricity. Uh, don't want it turned off. Want it cheaper or as cheap as possible. Um, it's a it's a basic human right. Uh, the way I read it in the modern era, privilege, and privilege it's, it's a privilege. <laughs> it's absolutely a privilege, but we need it as cheap as possible. And it seems yeah. that everything's being done today to make it more expensive.
1: Yeah, and less reliable. And uh, yeah, sorry, and, and less reliable. reliable. Not reliable it is hugely expensive in South Africa. discovered discovered. Destroys yeah. your economy. Yes.
0: So why? You know, we've talked about uh, this in a general sense. It does question, make you question why anyone would want to do this to itself. It's it's like an own goal mm. um, in soccer or football. It just makes mm. no sense.
1: Yeah,
0: it but sense. no matter how you look at it. So I just want an electron to come down these uh, wires into my house and I, I'm quite happy to pay for it. I don't want it to be uh, turned off when I when I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually okay with the outages that I do have, uh, the company that manages a network. It, it does a good job and yeah. and keeps the lights on um and i know there's tension for instance we haven't talked about this this tension about smart meters well i've got a view that smart meters are actually a good thing uh if you can identify where an outage is about to happen mm. um it sends a message back to uh to the control panel look get out to don's place because he's about to have an have an outage on his line i think that's mm. a good thing
1: yeah. what's your thoughts on smart meters um oh, mainly in saving meteor reading costs. But the rollout has been handled badly because we started off with all sorts of different meters with all sorts of different protocols. And if you change supply, they have to change meters. So we spent a hell of a lot of money, more than we needed to on smart meters. But the, the downside is that everybody assumes that they would replace ripple control for hot water heaters. So everybody abandoned hot water control, and they didn't. I'm not quite sure what reason. So now we've got hundreds of megawatts of, of water heaters that could be remote-controlled and manage our load, which are not controlled. Forty, Forty years ago, we could dump a huge proportion of the national load in a few minutes. Now we can't. It's no good
0: reason. Explain that because it was at the I think I if I've got it right there into your house there would have been two two um two meters, one for your water heating yeah. and one for your your general yeah. use. And they you could turn off the um the water heating one at, oh, at you the couldn't. whim of the they
1: controller. They yeah, could.
0: they could. Yeah, absolutely. They could. Yeah. And but that without, can't...
1: with a modern system, we could arrange that transfer, for instance, had one button and say, We've just lost a big generating plant. Bingo. Ducked all the whole water, water heaters in New Zealand, saved the system. We'd save a hell of a lot of shutdowns and a hell of a lot of running planted at light load, just in case a generated generator says, hey, shut down. There's enormous things to could do, and nobody's interested in doing it, because the way the market's set up doesn't reward them for doing it.
2: Sign Yet up the so. times, isn't it? We want to self-sabotage. We are self-sabotaging yeah. another way. We don't need to do all of that. There won't even be <laughs> yeah. much power left that you yeah. know to be worried about that. Shall we conserve power? Because we are going to be running out of it if we continue down this path. Yeah.
1: No,
0: it's crazy. It, I, it's a heck of a story, isn't it? Um, you yeah, know, we're lucky to have Brian tell us his view of the state of the nation's um, electricity sector and uh, and the machinations of climate. Um, yeah uh, we're lucky to have people with your knowledge in the in the in the background, uh, Ryan, and uh, yeah, great that we could have you on reality check radio greenwashed. So
2: uh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ryan, and th- thank you for still speaking up. There's a whole lot of people who've gone PC who who know what is right and who know what is wrong. And still won't speak anything. So very grateful. Well,
1: you get vilified if you do, and in a lot of cases you put your job at risk. If you're an academic and you challenge the conventional wisdom, you get the bum's rush. And no, it was, and a lot of people in, in other jobs. I mean, if you're in the electricity industry, you don't get up and say that uh, electricity storage is your big problem. Why aren't you paying attention to it? I, mean, I can say it, but if you're If you're employed by a government majority organization that is pushing renewable energy, you'd better push it too.
2: I know, a few good men. That's what we're left with. And I'm so grateful you chose to come Mm -hmm. on today. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Brian, for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back another time because the story short as heck ain't over.
1: It's been great. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking to you.
2: Thank you so much. Jaspreet Boparai
0: and Don Nicholson with Greenwash on RCR, Reality Check Radio.